Welcome to the Chiropractic Trust Podcast. The Chiropractic Trust has been created to protect, preserve, advance, develop, and adamantly defend practices of straight chiropractors who focus strictly on the location, analysis, and facilitation of correction of vertebral subluxation and ensuring that the choice of straight chiropractic care is made available to all humankind throughout their entire lives. The views of the interviewees do not necessarily represent those of the Chiropractic Trust. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone in podcast world. Welcome to another episode of the Chiropractic Trust. This episode, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Jim Healy from New Jersey. If you haven't heard of him, you should have. Um, he gives a phenomenal interview here, and he's one of uh, he's a prolific writer in chiropractic, a prolific chiropractor, and a pro- prolific speaker in chiropractic. He's one of these guys who's thought about these things and these topics in the non-therapeutic movement uh, as long as anyone, and he has uh, a lot of answers to questions. In fact, I want to give a quick post uh, plug to his seminar that's coming up through the Garden State Chiropractic Society. Uh, it is called If You Believe. It's given by the Garden. Uh, the website is gardenstatechiropractic.org. It's in New Jersey next Saturday, October 19th, and I will be there, and I think uh, it will be well worth your time. So if you have a moment, go to gardenstatechiropractic.org, click on events, if you believe, and you can register there. And if you're someone who listens to these podcasts and has questions or wants to know more about it and how to do this, it's a panel of speakers who do this type of work, and uh, it should be a phenomenal day in New Jersey. So uh, give a listen to the podcast. We talk more about it there, and I hope you can join us, um, and it should be a wonderful day. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. And we have a very special guest. I am excited to chat with uh, a friend and a mentor, Jim Healy from New Jersey. And we are going to learn a lot. And I think if you know about Jim, you're probably excited already because you read this, uh, this interview was going to be with him. But if you don't know about Jim, I think you're, you're going to be educated and learn a lot about chiropractic and a lot about this non-therapeutic movement. And so, Jim, I remember a few years ago, I was, you know, newish to this movement, and I was graciously asked by the uh, Garden State Chiropractic Society to speak at their convention. I was very honored, and it was great. And you introduced me, and you stood up, and you said, I don't know if you remember this, but you said, well, this is a person... Uh, that I don't know a lot about, but I've heard they're nice and doing good things. And so, uh, and you kind of gave a little intro and, and, um, and I thought about interviewing you today and I, I kind of know some of your accomplishments and your history, but then I said, but there's also a lot, I don't know how to fit it all together. And so there's a lot I don't know about you. So I'm excited just to ask you a bunch of questions about, I think you have a very unique history in the world of chiropractic and in our movement. So I wanted to start there with your history, maybe just introducing yourself a little more to me and to our listeners who might not know a lot about you. So uh, tell me a little bit just generally about your your career arc and where you've been and where you are and, and uh, all that stuff and um, take it wherever you want and maybe I'll chime in here and there if I have questions. 
Oh, that's great. Thank you, Damien. I really appreciate being invited to, to be on this. This is I've listened to all the episodes so far. I love what it's doing. I love the information. I love the fact that you're able to find people out there that are uh, that are doing this and sharing their wisdom, knowledge, information about it. I think it's been very, very strong so far. And congratulations to you on that. Thank so you. there. The uh, actually I started out. Um, I, I have to say that I was four years old when I decided to uh, pursue chiropractic. We, I had started late in life uh, getting my spine checked. I was already three months old before I had ever gotten on a chiropractic table. Yeah. Um, I, I probably have a bit of a history that's shared by others. My father had hurt his back at work and someone told him that he should see a chiropractor. Uh, when he got to that office, the the guy had a very different message, I guess, than, than what the referring person was expecting. His message was, okay, we're going to adjust your spine because it's a good thing for you, uh, not only for you with the backache, but bring your family in. And my father always understood it because of the experience that he had as back therapy, even though even though I had gotten very deeply into it, uh, into the profession and, and the all of the uh, machinations between the, the different uh, schools of thought, he still understood it as backache therapy because his went away. And the chiropractor, although urged him to bring us, when I say us at that time, it was my mother and me, uh, to that office, I don't think I don't think he really understood it as plainly as he said it that just it would be good for them i think he did because i remember when my mother she was uh, highly sensitive to poison ivy and during those warmer months when it was around she'd get all covered with it and when she got adjusted it would kind of either go away entirely or at least abate somewhat and he took credit for that. He was happy to be able to to contribute to the expressive way in which her body was was working differently. So that was kind of how my parents understood it. But I didn't have anything wrong with me. I never had anything like that. And yet he, he was still adjusting me. And I, I just made these. I, I know that sounds young, young thing for me to be by four to figure out that this is what I wanted to do, but it just made sense to me. And so I remember in first grade, they took us into a guidance counselor's room uh, where they asked that, that typical proverbial question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, I remember the, the, three other kids that were sitting there with me, you know, one said a fireman, one said a rock or a, a, an astronaut. The other one said a, a, a nurse. And then he, when he asked me, I said a chiropractor and he said, a what? And I told him again, a chiropractor. So he had a book that was like one of those coffee table books that you see in old movies. The book must have been two feet wide and three feet tall, and it was huge. And he opened this thing up, and each page was like had to be lifted and carried over to the other side. And he asks me, how do you spell that? And I'm four years old. I didn't really have it. I didn't really have it mastered at the time, but I 
told him, you know, it's C-H-I-R-O. And so he's paging through. And finally, he, he scrolls down. He's on the right-hand side of, of the right-hand page, gets down to the bottom, and there's, there's a word there. And he asks me, is it anything like chiropodist? And I didn't know what that was. I'd never <laughs> heard that word before. he's having with you at four. But <laughs> right. I didn't know what that word was. So he flips over the page, and on the very next, and this is the dictionary or, or the uh, volume of professions, on the very next page is chiropractor. So he reads it, and, of course, it was uh, treats backaches and things like that, which my father would have been happy to hear that, that I was finally on the right page. But it, it, I, I knew that it wasn't what I had in mind, and he looked at me like I was weird. I, the first time he had ever heard the word, I guess. But I, I just remember that very clearly, that I knew early on what I was going to do. So for the next, oh, eight years or so, uh, we went we went to this chiropractor that my father had first visited. And now I, I lived in, in Jackson, New Jersey at that time, which is, uh, if some, many people know where Great Adventure is, it's right near there. And we had to go to Staten Island once a week to go to this chiropractor's office, which in those days, that was like a road trip. When you got in the car and had to drive an hour and a half one way, it was a big event. You know, so, and uh, as time went on, uh, it wound up ultimately that I have three more brothers, and so there's six of us in this car, and and uh, it, was a, it was a big old uh, Pontiac, and the back seat was like a living room couch. It was just huge back there, so we were all over the place. There were no seat belts or anything. Anyway, we went there every week for 12 years, hmm. and then... Uh, one day, uh, we were at his office and he said, this is going to be the last time you see me. And I remember all of us saying like, what? You know, I mean, this is, this is someone who I had seen more often than some people in my family. And all, now he's just telling us he's leaving. And he went off to Minnesota retiring, but that was it. That was how we found out. So we went back to Jackson, and my parents started looking around for some other chiropractor. There had to have been some nearby, and sure enough, in the phone book, there were some listings, and, but, but they, they really had, it was a blind, throw a dart at the page kind of method of finding someone, and we went to probably, oh, 15 or so different offices over those eight years because none of them did exactly what Dr. Olmsted did. They were, Dr. Olmsted was moving bones. Uh, he called it adjusting us, uh, and which is, like I said, what, what we all understood or what was understood by him more so to be the reasons that my father felt better. My mother had no poison ivy and, and we were not missing days in school as kids. So, um, but the other chiropractors that we had gone to weren't all doing that. They were doing other stuff. They were asking unusual questions we had never heard before and using these odd looking machines that, that, and then not, not typically not adjusting us in, in that way that we had understood it. So we jumped around. We'd go to a few weeks to each of these places until my parents gave up and went to the next name in the phone book. The thing that was 
related to my career, though, my career path, is that every chiropractor we went to, when they found out that I had plans to become a chiropractor, because my parents were kind of proud of the fact that, that I had figured my path out early, and, and so they were also pleased to tell these, these guys that we went to, they took an interest, and they wanted me to know that I should go to the college that they had attended, because that's where that's where they learned it and that's where it's the best <laughs> well i must say that the guidance counselors in my high school were useless might be a strong word but i think if you looked in that dictionary of professions their pictures would have been under useless rather than under guidance counselor <laughs> uh they, they were simply focused on having the most graduates accepted somewhere. I guess that's how their job performance was measured uh, anywhere. I mean, they didn't really care where we were going, just as long as we got in somewhere. Uh, so they, they weren't really prepared to be counselors in the way of helping us how to choose a, a college. Well, the thing was, I was quite unimpressed by all those other chiropractors we had seen briefly through the years. And instead, I remembered that one of the things that was hanging on the wall in Dr. Olmsted's office was from a college in Chicago. Couldn't quite remember the name of it, but it was easy for me to find out uh, what, what school that was. And as a result, I chose to attend the University of Chicago. Um, in part because they were offering me a full scholarship, academic scholarship, and my folks weren't wealthy, but mainly because it was in Chicago where I figured I would eventually also be going to whatever that chiropractic college was. I was in my junior year, I guess it was, and my parents called me to tell me to come home that a new chiropractor had opened up right in town, right in Jackson, New Jersey, and he wanted me to, he wanted to talk to me about chiropractic college. Uh, you know, I had, I had heard it from 12 others who all said they're just going to, they, they want me to go to their place. And I figured I got to come home. Why don't you just look on his wall, find out what he's recommending and, and, and let me put that into the hopper and see if it works. So uh, being skeptical to say the least, um, but I made the trip anyway because they, they were really insistent. They said that this guy was just like Dr. Olmsted and, and that kind of thing, that I really should meet him and that it would be worth the time. So uh, as a result of all that, I, I made that trip. I got back to Jackson. Uh, he had an orientation, which that in and of itself was very unlike any other place we had been. And um, the orientation was Tuesday at 8 p.m., and I arrived a few minutes before that, got there, sat through the orientation, and then afterward, he and I spoke. I didn't leave till four in the morning. Wow. As a result, I had found a better choice than that place in Chicago, which we all know is National College in Wheaton, Illinois. And I sent off an application to Sherman because that's where he told me to go. The thing was, I had looked around his office before before he started the orientation, and I saw that he had a diploma from um, New York College, New York Chiropractic College, and I figured because I asked him, I said, I, you know, so I guess I guess I should go to New York Chiropractic College because that's where you're at, and look what you're doing, and it makes sense to me. And he said, No, no, by no means go to there. 
what you want to do is go to this place called Sherman. It's a brand new place. And I almost attended National. For that, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to Vin, Vince Toma. May he rest in peace. Yeah. And um, that, that's pretty much it. Sherman had designated itself uh, in a variety of ways. Um, I had gone to uh, a follow-up to that. I had gone to Joe Strauss's office one night because Sherman was doing a, uh, a recruitment uh, session there for students. And it was Doug Gates and Tom Gilardi and Joe Strauss. And through Joe Strauss, I had learned a lot about the things that Reggie had done with the school and that kind of thing as well. And that message really just, it was almost as if there it is. It, there was a, a moment of recognition before I either had even gotten to Sherman that if that's what they're doing there, that's it. That's exactly what I've been thinking this to be for, for now the last, how old was I, 17? So, you know, it was seven, 17 years minus three months of my life. I had been uh, kind of intuitively exposed to this. So coming out of there that night, I was confident that I had sent the application to the right place. I was very excited about it. Um, went down there a few months. The, the, main, the, new, the, the main campus on, on the hill there wasn't open yet uh, when I drove down there a few months ahead to kind of find out where I could live and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and they were still in the little shopping center in downtown. And I remember uh, Toma telling me also that something similar had happened to him when he enrolled at New York College. He went to the address and he thought, gee, you know, I'm going to go to a place with quadrangles and, and beautiful domed buildings and all this kind of thing. And when he got there, it was a single, you know, like a, a couple brownstones in, in, in the city. And he said, but, you know, just don't worry about that. He said, you're not going there for the buildings and things. So I, I was very happy to enroll. In fact, I was among the people who was in the first class in the main building. So I wasn't a, I wasn't a pioneer, but it was still pioneering days. Um, when I got there, the potential was that I could be licensed, and I think it was in three states, and it jumped up and down, and it went sometimes as high as eight different states, sometimes down to one. There was a time during the time that I was there where South Carolina was threatening to close the place down for a variety of reasons. Chiropractic civil war was going on ferociously, and I will say that and I, I've written many articles over the years. One of them had to do with the fact that uh, I, I borrowed from BJ's title, Conflicts Clarify, that the conflict that we had, meaning that the, and in those days, the words therapeutic and non-therapeutic were not yet part of our, of our vocabulary. Um, I had introduced those in the 90s. I think it was 90. Two, or no, I'm sorry. That was where the spectral spectral terms of uh, conservative mixer and liberal mixer came in, meaning that a conservative because a lot of people in in this in 19 
70s when I was there at Sherman, a lot of people were distinguishing the difference between mixing chiropractic and straight chiropractic as whether you used only your hands or whether you used machines. It was very uh, technique-oriented. And I felt that that wasn't the case. I, I wasn't the only one describing it, but uh, I, I came up with the concept of a liberal mixer. That's the one who treats diseases and liberally allows that some of the ways to do that might involve more than manipulating bones. They might be better off. You might be able to get rid of a backache by rubbing them with, uh, with one of those machines or, or doing some physical therapy of another variety. Uh, and then the conservative mixer was one who was more dedicated to keeping people out of hospitals and medical doctor's offices. Um, and they would, they would use the adjustment only. And when I say adjustment, um, I'll put quotes around it because we now use the word adjustment uh, as a term of art that really describes the correction of a vertebral subluxation. It's not necessarily true that manipulative therapists are always determining whether they're describing or, or finding a vertebral subluxation. They may very well just be manipulating a bone because in the thoracic area is where lung problems are caused and that kind of thing. But, but their method was limited to that one thing and, and they were anti-medical. So the, the mixing spectrum became anything from liberal to conservative, whereas in the straight chiropractic, we were... We were mistakenly redefining it, quite frankly, when I look back on those events, trying to redefine words that already had meaning was a problem. The fact that before that, uh, mixing was using machines and straight chiropractic was not using machines, that already meant something to the chiropractic community and the world at large. It was very difficult for us to just make that distinction about straight. Nonetheless, while I was there, or just before I was there, Sherman uh, had uh, decided that they were going to change their name to Sherman College of Straight Chiropractic. They were Sherman College of Chiropractic uh, in, in its in, during its inception. Uh, they've now switched back. But I have the very last of the of the diplomas, I remember the uh, the registrar asked me, would you like to have this? I have the last of the diplomas that says Sherman College of Chiropractic under the old regime. It's kind of a, just a little memento more so than anything else. And what year was that? Uh, when when I received that diploma, I, yeah. that was 81. Oh, okay, I was thinking. Yeah, the registrar gave it to me in 81. So uh, just a quick question, because this is, maybe this takes us down a whole nother path, but I think it's a natural point to insert that. So um, what we're evolving into is a, is a brief discussion of words and the importance mm -hmm. of words. And you are someone who, um, I think to our movement and our, the way we see things, words are really important. And you're someone I know that words are of the 
utmost importance. And I want to have a discussion on that because now if you sit there and you put on Facebook, like uh, there's this sort of, there's this, there's this movement now, you'll hear it at some seminars even, or on Facebook, people will post and they'll say, well, I'm just a damn chiropractor, right? Like I'm not a this chiropractor. I don't need an adjective. I'm just this chiropractor. I'm a principal. I don't need to be a principal chiropractor. I'm not a straight chiropractor. Like let's just be a damn chiropractor. And so there's this, but in the non-therapeutic or what used to be considered straight chiropractic movement, there is this, um, there's this struggle to really define it and define our words. And uh, why, why are words so important to you? Why is that such a big part of the, the overall discussion? And the sticking oh, well, point for most arguments, right? The sticking point always yeah. ends up being the, the terminology. Right. And, and, I'll just, I'll use this, I've used this example for many years. Uh, I'm going to describe something and then I want you to tell me what you think it is. Uh, these things come in bunches. Um, they have a firm skin, firm thick skin. They're sometimes green, more often yellow. Uh, and very pulpy interior. You peel it off, and, and there's this pulpy interior, and it tastes good. What am I describing? Uh, geez, that could be a few different things. Well, let's call it, it's a fruit of some kind. What's the fruit? Apple? Comes in a bunch. Comes in a bunch, typically yellow when you eat it. has a, a thick, dense skin and a soft, mushy interior. White, mushy interior. And they come in bunches? Chimps love it. Oh, bananas. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, All right. <laughs> Chimps. And you might even like it if you try them someday, you yeah, know, right. if, you, if you see them here. Yeah. Just tell me more but, about these things. All right. Now, the Go thing ahead. is, I'm going to say, oh, I, you know, I call them grapes. So you're wrong. Now, you can't tell me that... Oh, you know, I get it. All right, you choose to call them grapes. I'll agree with you. Grapes are entirely different. You know that it's it, it, and it already it already has a, a word for that fruit, and we already have a word for banana. And if you're going to use grapes to describe those yellow things uh, that come in a bunch, then you're going to have problems. And, the, and if we already have words that the rest of the world understands differently and we are uh, brazen enough to try and say, no, 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 we're going to redefine it. Don't worry about that. That's a hard thing to do. So you're going to have a very difficult time communicating clearly if you use words that already have a well-established accepted understanding. The other part of it is a lot of words feel different. Um, as an example, I'm going to say that um, what's, what feels better to you? And I'm going to use two negative words. So this is going to be something where neither of them are going to feel great. But which one would you rather have? Uh, some, some distress or some pain? I'd rather have distress. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a big difference. Now, you could, you could be in pain, and that's a distressing thing, but the word pain describes it better than distress. Uh, and there are, there are so many different examples of that. When it comes to us, I think, I, I, and I would like to propose that a big mistake 
for us is attempting to hang on to the word chiropractor or the words chiropractor and chiropractic because the rest of the world already understands that as something else. They understand it as a therapeutic method. In fact, um, Tom Gregory shared on the trust page recently the Jeopardy answer that was this therapeutic method of back treatment or something like that. Um, the, the question was, what is chiropractic? And the reason that that person got it right on Jeopardy was because that's what the world understands it to be. If they, if they had, that, had that answer on every Jeopardy show for the rest of time, there might be one person that would answer, oh, hmm, let's see, uh, that, that's not chiropractic because chiropractic is non-therapeutic. No, it is a therapy. It is a widely understood therapy. And there's a problem in, the, in this that I find it, difficult to believe that either side uh, of this argument would be willing to give it up. I don't think there's any reason for the therapeutic model to give up the word chiropractor because that's pretty much what the world understands. They've got a really good, clear message in that one word, right? I mean, if, if, if you look in the phone book, and I don't have any phone, never had any phone book ads really, uh, just had the, the, my name listed in the white pages because that was part of what came with, with when you had real landline service in those days. That's what happened. But if you did look in the yellow pages, you would see in one simple stick drawing, a stick figure bent over with lightning bolts coming out of the back. Every chiropractor in the world could use that simple little stick figure that, that what they used to call that clip art, right? Uh, the, the stick figure clip art with lightning bolts coming out of the back of somebody that was bent over, that was clear. Everybody in, in the world would see the word chiropractor with that and say, oh, yep, that's what they do. That's backache treatment. I'm, I understand that. We have difficulty using that word and trying to make it feel like something else to them. In fact, um, with the Garden State Chiropractic Society, one of, our, one of the best things that our organization does is, is act as friends, mentors, peers, uh, helpers. We love each other and help each other as much as we possibly can. And for a good number of years, we used to do things where if, if you wanted to have kind of an open house day at your office, a bunch of us would come and spend that day with you being your entourage. Um, we would, I would do group lay, lay lectures, orientations. Another person would be trying to make sure that we had whatever was outside, whether it was refreshments, whether it was uh, jugglers or something. It was, it was an event. It was truly was. It was like an event to, to attract people there. And the reason we attract, wanted to attract people there was not so that we could tell them about chiropractic. And we made the mistake of having a bunch of T-shirts printed up for everybody, for all of us helpers to wear that said, ask me about chiropractic. And ultimately, we decided that it would be better to have on there, 
Ask me about subluxation. Reason being is the world does not have a definition of subluxation. I mean, it, it, a few a few medical students might, and, but but theirs is a medical understanding of it, and they hardly ever use it. So they don't they don't have a a societal uh, hang uh, hang up with it yet. They don't have the uh, the rest of the world doesn't know what that word means. So. Uh, to, to illustrate that, I mean, when in in my my orientations in the office early on, it, it I, I discovered that the concept of an orientation was, and I'm not trying to take away from those people who who do a lay lecture or a videotape or anything else like that. What I do believe, though, is that. There are limits to that because it's not interactive. Anything that the person in your office understands is because they figured it out and chose to incorporate it into their understanding. If all that happens is a speech or a video playing or something like that, that's one that's broadcasting, and it's hoped that the person, uh, it's, it's, it's throwing stuff at them, at them and hoping some of it sticks. And I just, I had discovered early on that the, what I think to be a better way is, is to let them tell me instead of me telling them. And the way, the way I do that is by questions. So, and, and just to give a quick primer as you get into this, so I'm glad you're touching on it all by yourself because uh, it was one of my questions to ask you. You are well known for this type of orientation, which you kind of uh, invented, may not be the right word to say, but you, uh, you uh, understood this concept and incorporated it. So just to interrupt you, but you are very well known for this. I've actually seen you present it, so go ahead, uh, continue. Oh, all right, cool. There, there are uh, a few audio uh, versions. I think four or five of them were recorded, and and um, I guess if someone, if anybody wants one, just give me a call. I'll, I'll be glad to uh, I'll be glad to help you discover that. And again, I'm not trying to promote it. I don't sell it. It's free to you if you want to hear it. But what happens during that, my orientation is that through questions, I ask these people a few different things. The only thing I actually tell them is the information about the anatomy of the body because they do need to understand what what the brain and nerve system is where it's located uh, how it's protected by by the bones of the spine and uh, after that the rest of that they're going to tell me and they're going to tell me that a subluxation is a bad thing for a variety of reasons and and I that I don't tell them they tell me. I ask them, well, why? You know, why do you say that? Why is it bad? How does, how does that turn out? They'll give me all the answers. By the end of that time, they're going to tell me, as I said, that subluxation is bad, that it happens for a wide variety of things that are a part of their normal living, that if they had one, they'd want it corrected as soon as possible. And if they could do that, they'd like to do that until they die. They tell me those four things. I never have, not never, that's not true, because there was a period of time in my early months where I wasn't doing it that way. I was, I was doing a lecture. It was a mistake. 
for me at least. Uh, for others, if it's, um, you know, don't change what you're doing if it's working, but at the same time, uh, figure out, uh, I figure out that even if I do a great lay lecture, which I thought mine was pretty good, uh, there's still some times where people, it was my information, it wasn't theirs. They, I don't know if they were taking it and owning it. And that's important because someday I'm going to die. And when I do, my office won't be there. And if all they've done is figured out that they're loyal to me, then, wow, I, I've, I failed entirely in my mission. I failed to affect the lives of their great-great-great-grandchildren and an investment in a subluxation-free future for more people. So that, that's important. Whatever orientation you're doing, make sure you understand that it's not that family. It's not that one person sitting in with you. It's all the other people that they know or that they will have family connections to that are going to be doomed to a subluxated life. So that's, a, that's a, I think, a powerful way of looking at it. And I, uh, I've, I selfishly am going to email you after this and uh, get a copy of that because I, it's been years since I've heard it and I don't think I have a copy of the audio. Just to tease that out a little bit, so, uh, so I do a lay lecture style and so what I'm talking, I feel like I get to control the conversation a little bit. So I'm curious just from an understanding standpoint. So if you're explaining, you said one of the, the things you hit are, you know, that subluxations are bad. And when you're dialoguing with them about that a subluxation is not a good idea to have, or what would it be like if you had a subluxation? What if they're just sort of stuck on the allopathic pain model like well of course I wouldn't want a subluxation because it hurts just like my neck is hurting me today and you know they're kind of stuck in there how do you how do you I guess there's an art to this and maybe it's not a quick answer but how do you transition them away that well it, it, it of course if it was causing you pain that may be part of it but there's a bigger picture here that we want to uncover as well uh, yes that's that's in that's implicit within within my method but I never I never just state it so simply. Um, you'll hear within those those audios that that comes up because with these audios, what I had done is just chose a random layperson to come into the room with with us. These were all done at the old Triune seminars, which unfortunately don't exist anymore. Uh, and and we're going to touch on that a little bit because I wanted to talk about how Garden State Chiropractic Society is, is hoping to, to reinvigorate that kind of thing. Yes. But the, the way in which I do that is to ask another question, is to ask a few different kinds of questions. And if, I, if we do this effectively, again, I don't have to tell them they're wrong. What they're going to do is they're going to go, hmm, huh, yeah, you're right. You're, and when they say, yeah, you're right, I think their, their mind is coming to a conclusion. And I think that they are reading into the fact that I've asked a rather targeted question that I must have known the answer as well. But it, it allows them to come up with it. I don't ever want to provide the answers. I'm not an authority in their life anywhere near the same level that they are. 
I can order them around if, if I own them, let's say. You know, if, if, uh, if, if I were the general in the Army, I get to, I get to order around the, the colonels and the captains all the way down to the privates and everything else, and they have to listen to what I say. That's not true in the, in the non-military world. Out here, people will make decisions, especially, uh, and thanks to the military and the freedom that we enjoy, uh, they, they make decisions on their own. They do that best when they believe in what they're doing. If they don't believe in it, if they don't have the information and the knowledge and the, and the wherewithal to decide to do that, they're not going to do it. So someone says, uh, and, and by the way, that is a question that, that will sometimes come up. And that's where, although I, I gave you four concepts of what they will tell me, those are my expectations, there's another thing that I, I call it, if, if that happens, where that question comes up, it's passing the ball to the pain guy. And the pain guy asks the question, such questions back as, okay, uh, let's examine something. A moment ago, we looked at the nerve system, and we saw that these pathways connected your, every part of your body to your brain, and that there was information that was going this way and that way. Now, let me ask you a question. If I stuck a pin in the end of your finger, would you know it was there? And there'd be a, there'd be a short pause because most of them would say, yeah, of course I would. And i say, yeah, you're right. How? Why do you know that? And they say, well, because, you know, I got these feelings and, and the ability to feel stuff in my fingers. And I said, and how do you, how does your, how do you experience that? How do you know about that? You're right. You do have feeling things down there. Those are nerve endings that allow you to feel that the, the, there's a piece of steel in there and it's bursting through some cells and doing some potential damage. But where does that, how does that happen? And sometimes, many times they will understand, oh, well, those nerve endings then send this message up to my head and in my brain I figure it out. Sometimes they need a little help. But, but they will, no one has ever said, huh, yeah, you made that up. I got nerve endings down there and it sends information to my brain? You're cool. Are you kidding me? No, never have an argument on that. So that would be something where I would offer it as a solution, but, but they, would, they would embrace it immediately. And I say, okay, fine. So what if, what if we took one of these segments of bone that you just described to me a moment ago as being around the spine and protecting it? What if, and, and, if, I, and if we did move it in such a way or if it was in, in a position in such a way that it was interfering, you told me that that was a bad thing just a moment ago. Well, is it possible that that could also interfere with that message reaching your brain? And they'd say, yeah, I guess so. Why not? And I'd say, okay, if that were happening, what would you feel then? And they would inevitably say, oh, nothing. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't know it was there. And at that point, I can say, yeah, and that's, that certainly is true, is that not only could this interference keep your brain messages, your, your information that keeps your body living, keep the brain messages from getting through to tell the body what it should be doing at any given moment, 
but it also may have interference to those messages coming back up. So a subluxation might interfere with your body's ability to function, but it might also keep you from feeling something. So you come into the office, you get on the table, we check, we find this subluxation, we help the body in making this, getting this bone back to where it should be, called an adjustment, and you get up and you say, my finger's hurting. What the heck happened? So let me ask you a question. Would you suppose that opening up that nerve channel was a good idea or a bad idea? And they would say, oh, we, I just told you a moment ago that having those nerve channels blocked is always a bad idea. So, uh, of course, open is better. And I said, yeah, but now your finger's hurting. And they'd say, yeah, but I got a piece of steel sticking in it. That should. So, okay, fine. So the thing is, though, that the majority of the stuff that goes on in your body, did you, let's forget about the pin in the end of your finger for a moment. Did you bring your spleen with you today? Or your liver was usually my favorite. Did you bring your liver with you today? And they, they chuckle and go, yeah, of course I did. I said, okay, what's it doing right now? And, and, and I know you might have to, I'll be quiet for a moment. You might have to close your eyes and concentrate on it. But I want you to, you know, I want you to feel your liver and tell me what it's doing right now. And every once in a while, they would actually close their eyes and try and go into a trance in front of me. <laughs> uh, but, but for the most part, they would quickly conclude that I have no idea. And I said, see, there's, there's the danger in either you or me trying to figure out whether your subluxation is related to your liver function, feeling a pin in the end of your finger, or any of the other trillions of things that are going on every second of your life. And that's why I don't use that information. And that's why you using it would be totally misleading to you as well. And I think you like yourself a little better than that. So don't do that. I appreciate, uh, you know, I love you. I appreciate you, but I don't use liver. I use pancreas as my example. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good one. The, thing, yeah. the, reason that, the reason that the pancreas, I think, is dangerous to use there is, and I'm not saying don't, if it's working for you, fine, but the reason I think it's a bit dangerous there is that people, especially now, I mean, the, the, there are commercials on radio and television and Internet and everywhere that talk about some drug for something that you should go to your doctor and demand it because you, you know, you have a pancreas and, and your, um, uh, what are they, A1C or something? Your A1C is all messed up. So they, they would, they know pancreas A1C. I mean, I, I believe that, I don't think I've heard a liver drug commercial around where they've talked about liver problems. So I, I stick yeah. with that because nobody knows what it does or the spleen. <laughs> nobody knows what the spleen does either. I got when you. I say nobody, none, none, of, none of the lay community, at least. I like that one. I agree. Um, so yeah. we need to, uh, we, you uh, mentioned earlier the Garden State, and we're going to mm -hmm. give a little plug for the Garden State here, and I want to talk with you about the upcoming seminar and ask you to kind of plug that and explain what the Garden State is hosting coming up here very soon. However, sure. before I ask that question, I have one more question. The question before the question, which is, um, over the years, I know you as someone who's very active in the Garden State, and you had um, 
I I don't know if you had a post at Sherman where you were active on any in any capacity. I know you were very involved. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, with the FSCO back in the day, and you did a lot. And you are someone I know who has stood up very tall for chiropractic, and you stood up for your profession. And in that, you've got a lot of arrows slung your way over the time, over that time. And I'm sure there were moments in your life where you've said. Uh, why am I doing this? I could just have my practice and be happy and enjoy my life, and yet I'm using my spare time instead of doing other things like golfing or fishing to have arrows slung at me. And uh, I'm just curious, like, uh, what motivated you to do that? What motivates someone to, you know, take that on and go headfirst into sort of the politics of the profession? Um, I think mainly because I was... And again, that, that chiropractic civil war, it made it clear to me that if we were not taking stands, we would lose our position entirely. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say that at all times still, even though it's not as obvious, at all times still, the non-therapeutic straight chiropractic viewpoint is subject to attack uh it's more covert it's more i don't even know that i don't even know that you would be able to identify points of attack except that it's a pervasive uh realm that that has lots of different laws and things that are out there that i mean for instance uh even though garden state chiropractic society is going to put on a program coming up here that is completely about the non-therapeutic chiropractic model and and how to do it well and why to choose it and all the motivating factors and everything else it also we also put on a convention program every year that has a bunch of hours of continuing education that have zero value to a non-therapeutic chiropractor except to illustrate how it's different from what you do and something you don't want to use or, or know about or not know about. That's, not, that's the wrong word. It's something you don't want to use in your office, in your practice, in any way because it's inconsistent, incongruent with what you do. Uh, that, that's my hope, at least, when we're doing continuing education because continuing education requires more therapeutic things. That's what, that's what the state boards are dominated by that, that kind of thought right now. So you, you, it's always subject to threats, better word than attacks, uh, because it's, it's not necessarily uh, a focused effort anymore. It's just it's the, it's the way of the land, so to speak, that, that we, are, we are there somewhere. We're not, um, we're not really supported by the political committee uh, committees and groups and and boards that are out there so that was that was even more true like I said there were times when when we were threatened to have no place to go after I graduated in terms of getting a license because the boards won't wouldn't let us in so it became it became important to me in fact for a period of time I had eight different chiropractic licenses because when I graduated or or um, approaching graduation, some of the states allowed you to take it in your last uh, quarter, uh, I, I knew that having 
a Sherman diploma and having a license somewhere down the line may mean that someone else could because if how did this you know how would the school be eligible yesterday but not tomorrow that may that that would be I think a rather strong argument for the school to make so I took eight different licenses eight different exams passed them and, and had them for a while ultimately I let a bunch of them lapse because no offense to those Michiganders or Michiganians, no Michiganders, but I didn't see myself moving to Michigan at any, any point. So I let that one lapse, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. Uh, but, but this, for instance, you know, there, there's a, there's a misconception that, that being a non-therapeutic straight chiropractor means that you must be a box on the wall office. That's a threat from within. When I say that, because the people who hear that, uh, they think immediately, oh, I'm doing a fee per visit, per person. I know what my average visit uh, intake or, or, or revenue is. If I go on box on the wall, I know it's going to drop. It, it threatens us. And the thing is, I do believe that the box on the wall happens to be the most logical evolution of how to do it, but that's not necessarily the, the starting point for everybody, nor is it necessarily the ending point for everybody. But right now, that causes fear in people. It causes people to say, oh, I could never do that. You know, if I went from my, my visit average now and reduced it by... 40% or whatever number it might turn out to be, uh, boy, I'm going to be going to be right back in, in immediate post-graduation days. I'm going to have to triple my practice just to get to where I was. And, and, and the reality is that's only one small aspect of what a successful non-therapeutic office can look like. So you're, you're, it's a method of exchange that you have with your people. And your method of exchange doesn't determine your professional objective. You simply decide. You make up your mind about whether you want to offer non-therapeutic service or a therapeutic chiropractic service. A method of exchange needs to be there either way. Whichever one you're choosing to do, and you need to do it well. A non-therapeutic chiropractor might mention or even provide details about what they have in place of the method of exchange, but the most important part behind it, and if, and if you do talk to someone who has that kind of a system, ask them why they do it. And I think that in the same way that you might choose to be a non-therapeutic chiropractor first because of the why, not just because of the lifestyle, and quite frankly, the lifestyle can be very, very good, but I think people make this kind of a, of a determination for a much bigger reason than bank accounts. I think they make it on the basis of because I have this fundamental belief that a community, a world filled with people who are living the most time free of verbal subluxation is important. It's important to to me as an individual that lives with them, but it's also important to every other person that I've never, ever met 
It's important to that person as an individual to be subluxation free. It's also important to their neighbor that they're not subluxation free. It's important to the people that are out on the streets with them. So that's a why that will, and, and if you have a powerful enough why to do something, you'll always figure out a way. Think of it. How many challenges have you had, and, and it doesn't even have to be in a chiropractic sense, how many challenges have you had where something comes up that seems overwhelming, but if you believed in the, enough in the fact that it was, it was valid, it was for a great purpose, it was something bigger than what you are, or bigger than what it was as a problem, that although the solution wasn't immediately obvious, eventually you came up with it, and it worked out, and you made it happen. And that's true throughout life. That's not just chiropractic, but it is incredibly important when it comes to whether or not you're going to choose your method of exchange with your non-therapeutic people in your non-therapeutic office. Now, I learned about this type of exchange from Joe D. and Joe Strauss, who were, were both doing that and seeing high numbers of people. And, and that was, and, you know, and they were, they were bringing in enough to be comfortably uh, supporting the families in the household, is from my, my impression. And so I, I saw that not only was it something that I thought was fundamentally good, it was a great idea, I also saw that it works, that it was possible to do it and survive and thrive and, and be, be quite good. So those, that's a combination that works that way, and it, and it always trickles in the, in the why first. If you don't know the why, it's going to be really hard to figure out how. If you don't know where you're, wind, where you're needing to wind up, uh, you know, the old, the old um, the plane that takes off from Los Angeles headed for Hawaii. Better know that they're heading for Hawaii first on how to get there. They can't just sort of get up in the air and head out in some random direction and crash into the ocean. It won't work that way. And, and there are stories of chiropractors who tried box on the wall, didn't make it. In fact, uh, a chiropractor that I met while I was still at the University of Chicago was using it when I first met him, and he decided to switch back to a fee per person, per, per visit thing, because he found that there was sometimes some coin change or candy wrappers in the box. And he contacted me uh, while, after I had started Sherman to warn me against it. He was genuinely interested in helping me, and I listened to him and so many other DCs that we had there in the classrooms and the hallways at school, too. Uh, for, and and for, for my early months, I also had a typical fee-per-person-per-visit system. He had basically described to me a, a situation that didn't work, so why would I try it again? I guess it's unfortunate that I started that way, but it was quite fortunate that I found out that it did not work for me. Not at all. And it, and it wasn't that it didn't bring in enough money. It did. In fact, I made my overhead in my first month of, of the office, but I also experienced that disconnect uh, for me of the families or the individuals having to make a decision about getting themselves or their kids checked based on how much money they had. That was not part of my vision or my mission for my office. So for a while, my fee system looked like 
let's make a deal. Um, I didn't make an overnight switch from uh, fee per person to box on the wall. I would describe it as, okay, uh, here's the the fee, and you say you can't afford to pay the full fee, so how much can you pay so that you can be here and bring all the kids? And even that wasn't working very well. I was still making my overhead, paying my bills, but people were dropping out. People were starting up. Almost everybody who came in as a newbie thought getting checked was a great idea, but some would just disappear. And if I was able to reach out to them, there, there was a time, that was early on, there was a time when I would call up people who didn't show up. And I'd find out where they were, and, and there, there seemed to be a direct connection to finances, especially when we had played the let's make a deal game. And I felt I was showing them a caring commitment by allowing them to pay less than the standard fee. But to them, I was finding out that it felt more like being labeled impoverished or a charity case. And when I realized that, I could easily understand why my caring gesture seemed more like a dishonor. Who would stick around for that? Some, maybe, but certainly not everybody. And I was about everybody. My office was developing a revolving, uh, even, even if slowly revolving, a revolving door, and it wasn't growing enough to fulfill my vision and my mission. Something had to change. So I switched to something that I called an honor fee system. Those were the three words that described it, where people had the power to pay what they could afford. Nobody was ever turned away, and nobody had to feel like they were charity cases. The other key part of it was that it was truly a method of exchange. Those three words entirely make the whole thing different. Fee systems versus method of exchange is an important distinction. And you asked me earlier about what's the power of words. Try and use that to describe what you do, and I think you'll think it'll feel differently to you and to the people in the office. Now, granted, I had modeled it, what I had learned from hearing about it and seeing it at Joe D. and Joe Strauss and, and even heard about the way Reggie's office in Spring Valley, New York worked. But as I said, it was no longer a fee system where they paid for what they got. It was a method of exchange. If I were to charge a dollar amount for what they got, nobody would be able to afford it. Think about it. When you understand what trying to live while impaired with a subluxation is, is like, you know, like giving up some of your life, then you realize that the fee would have to be impossibly high. How much is a person's life worth? You know, becomes the question. It even became part of my orientation. I would, even in that, in that active listening thing, when it got to the point where I had to tell them about this new thing, this new method of exchange, I joke with them a lot. And, and one of them was to, one of the jokes was to let them know that the, one of the unique things about this place is that it's affordable for everyone. And I'd pause a moment and then say, yep, it's only $1 million a week for you to do this. And I didn't say a word after that. <laughs> and after a few seconds, I, I had this serious stone-faced expression. Most people, a smile would start to crack out on their face and then turning into a slightly incredulous, not uncomfortable, but are you kidding me kind of laughter. And I'd jump in at that point and ask something like, what, you mean your and your kids' lives aren't worth a million dollars? And they'd say, well, of course it was, you know, even more than a million. They were priceless. And I'd agree with them. And then I'd explain that dollars were just one of the three ways in which we'd exchange in this office. So 
yep, you're going to leave some money here once a week or once a month, whatever. I left that up to them. When I figured out that this was not a fee system to be an, an explicit and un, unambiguous part of the equation, I changed the title on that whiteboard to read cooperative system. I left the word fee out of it. Maybe there's a better title that I haven't thought about yet, but that title satisfied me for more than 30 years. It's still on that whiteboard, which right now I'm, I'm no longer in practice. My, I had an injury that, that has made me into a, an awful chiropractor. Uh, when I say awful chiropractor, a technically incapable, let's just put it that way. I think I, I might be able to check a maximum of one person per day before before it would cripple me for the rest of the week. So I've had to stop. But that whiteboard is still in my garage right now, or I took it off the wall in the place where I was, and I haven't changed it. I had never erased it or anything. It worked out great. The other, the other reason that this is a system and how I describe it that way, the two other things, and again, right from Joe D, is that on the, on the board it said, pay what's within your, number one, pay what's within your means. Keep this affordable for yourself. Number two, uh, oh, I'm sorry, number one was, and I, and I emphasized it this way to them, because I said the most important thing about this is be here regularly. The minimum is once per week. This is in your best interest. That is the most important thing I want you to focus on when you're sitting here today looking at this new thing that you see on the board here is you be here once a week is my number one commitment. I'll be here. You got to get here. I'm not gonna, I don't have a taxi service to send out for you. And, and I'll make house calls. So you got to get here once a week. If you can't do that, we got to talk first for the rest of it. But the number two thing was pay what's within your means, keep it affordable for yourself. Number three was share, these in, share this information about subluxation with others. Not chiropractic. I didn't want to talk about chiropractic for the reason I told you about earlier on the T-shirts. People already know what that is. They already know it's backache care. The Jeopardy question comes up. So I, I did not want them to talk to their neighbor about chiropractic because the neighbor would say, oh, <laughs> I got no backache. I'm good. Don't worry. Thank you about it, though. I, I wanted to talk about subluxation. And, uh, and even at that point, by this time, we've, we've used the word subluxation with them during the orientation several times. I make them say it several different times. I also ask them, you know, on the way over here today, I, I, it's a new word, and they say, oh, yeah, it's a new word. I said, oh, well, which direction did you come on, on uh, County Line Road? And they would tell me. And whichever direction they told me, I said, oh, well, then, do you remember seeing the billboard on the right there? Uh, with the with the word subluxation, big letters with the word subluxation, and they'd be they'd say, oh no, I I missed that, and I'd say, oh that's because it's not there. The reason it's not there is because if I had that up there, I would need the entire billboard to to get to the point where you are, where you understand what it is. That word. Most people couldn't even say it. You now have a new and powerful word that you're going to be able to use to help not only your life, but change the life of your neighbor, change the life of everybody you work with, change the lives of all the people in your family. This is a powerful concept. When you leave here tonight, I want you to understand what that is 
like you've shown me. And by this time, like I said, they've told me that it's a bad thing. They've told me what it does. they told me why they don't want it. They've told me they, they want to make sure that it doesn't happen and stay there for them. The doesn't happen part doesn't actually come up, except sometimes they will say, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd want to keep it in the right place. And then we'd very quickly, they'd also remind me that, but I can't do that because there are, you know, there are too many things that cause it to happen. So how am I going to avoid all that stuff? So it, it's, it's very good that way. They, they come out with a rather broad knowledge base, a sureness, certainty about what they're doing, a knowledge base uh, that, that, that they're telling themselves. So, the other thing then about this sharing this non-therapeutic vision and mission is, like I said, we, we have a, a thing coming up. I've had the privilege of meeting some of the best peers ever in this profession. Not only meeting them, but, but becoming great friends with them. Um, anywhere from newer friends like you to people that I've known from very early on, like the, like the Joe D, who had been in practice for a number of years even before I met him. I had just terrific opportunities and, and privileged experiences. And one of the things that, that we would do is we'd, I'd get together with, I'll just call it the group. Each month for a bunch of years, I, I had the great fortune to get together with Mark Massano, Mark Olstein, and Gino Kirkaruto, who were, who were chiropractors who shared a desire to have truly successful non-therapeutic offices that not only served tons of families uh, who would decide to come in for a lifetime, but but that part of coming in for the lifetime was was the goal. That was the real reason we were doing it. Not just so that we were doing well, but because everybody was doing well. And we shared that goal that was larger than any of our egos. Another thing that happened, uh, I went on a 22 hours of, in a car one year driving to Sherman's Lyceum in, in the year 2000. And we did this on purpose because we just realized that getting together, the opportunities for that become fewer and further between when life gets in the way. But we had to get from New Jersey to Spartanburg, South Carolina, doing it in a plane. We'd probably not be able to sit four of us together enough and have a great conversation without it getting a little weird in the plane anyway. So we decided to drive. Four of us pile into to his big SUV. So I had Mark Olstein, uh, Mark Massano, Gary Rushing, and I. And our goal was to comb through our current understandings, our attitudes, our behaviors, to find weak spots and opportunities to improve. Nothing was off limits. And we were all committed to having a constructive outcome, even if that meant we had to uh, point out and acknowledge problems or errors along the way that, that either we ourselves were making or the other guy was making. And I still have a cassette tape of that road trip somewhere. I, I have to look for it. But it was, it was one of the things that, that brought about a few really powerful discoveries for us. But the thing that all these, these things I'm telling you about share in common is that it was groups, it was peers, it was, it was a, a thing getting together to brainstorm about this therapeutic model. And um, 
you know, FSCO used to have something called the Try-In Seminars where non-therapeutic straight chiropractic was featured, and unfortunately that no longer exists. Uh, it was something that, that I thought was really good, and, and I felt for a while that it was needed, especially when all the other programs out there, including our convention, was really designed to satisfy relicensure requirements for CE and necessarily because of the ubiquity of, of therapeutic models uh, on the licensing laws and in the minds of those state boards. It has nothing to do with non-therapeutic straight chiropractic. In fact, many of the applications for CE, if, if the topic is philosophy, a lot of states won't give you any credit for that. So I'm also a member of the Board of Directors of Garden State Chiropractic Society, and recently I proposed to the group that it was time to get back to offering a program that served this non-therapeutic mission. So we have a program coming up on October 19th uh, at the APA, APA Hotel in Island, New Jersey. It's a full Saturday on that day. 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., and we're going to have four of the best. In fact, you, Damien, are on the panel I'll be of, the there. of the non-therapeutic street chiropractors for that event. And, and these people will, Damien, and, and you're going to see, also see uh, Mark Olstein, Stamatis uh, Tsudomalidis, and Mark Romano, and you're going to get together with this group. They're going to share their, what I will call, collective decades of expertise, uh, wisdom, love for this, this non-therapeutic profession. And that's, that's so that everyone there, everyone who attends this, can go back to their offices. They can do this effectively and successfully. They can leave the room that day and clear about what they choose to do this, why they choose to do this, and committed to improving how they do it with a lot of the tools to do it the very next morning. And we're doing this, and if any of you have already gotten or seen the, the flyer about this, the flyer is entitled, If You Believe. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff listed there. These are the things that... that, that if you believe these things, then you should be at this event. I would like everyone of you to go to the, it's, it's Garden State Chiropractic, all one word, dot org. If you click on events, and then you'll notice on events, one of the things is, if you believe, you click on that, you're going to see the flyer. And you're going to read through it, and hopefully you'll feel the same kind of, of connection to it and, and inspiration to it that, that drew you to this kind of viewpoint to begin with. And, it, and it's going to just say, yeah, I'm, I'm on fire, or I want to get more fired up even, and I want to I feel the connection. I want to experience the wisdom and the energy of not only Damien, but also Mark and, and Stamatis and, and both of the Marks, and the synergy of a room where all the people will be excited to be consistent with the same mission, congruent with the same mission, and successful in bringing it to the world. So you go to GardenStateChiropractic.org, click and register there, and I, I just, I'll tell you what, it's extremely affordable. So I'm not, 
I'm almost wanting to, I'm not empowered by the board to do so about um, having a money-back guarantee for this because Garden State Chiropractic Society ultimately pays a lot of money for, for the room at this hotel. And uh, uh, we do it as a dedication to offering things like this. In fact, this, this is probably, as I said, one of the, one of the finest of the, or, of the organization's uh, events for quite some time because it's focusing entirely on that mission. But I don't think you're coming away disappointed. So you're, you're going you're gonna to have a great time there. You're going to be excited by it. Uh, and it's just going to be a, an event that has the potential to not change you because only you can do that, but it's going to give you a lot of reminders as to how great this is and how much you play as a part in doing it. I hope to see you all there. I, I will be there also. I'm excited to go, and for the reasons you just said, I'm, I'm excited that I was asked to speak uh, or be on the panel and that someone has a, um, you know, enough belief in me that I might have something interesting to say, but then also I'm excited to learn. Like I am coming with questions, and, uh, you know, and I'm hoping other people come with questions and that we can all leave, at, at least at the end of the day, have every one of our questions answered. And um, that would be a wonderful thing. I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm an eager member of the Garden State. Um, I think I'm an out-of-state member of the uh, Garden State Chiropractic Society. I love the mission. It's one of the most unique, I believe, state organizations in chiropractic. And I proudly, gladly go to the convention. And, yes, I go to the convention every year in the spring. Um, but even though it's uh, it's for CE, so you have to live in the parameters of, of those requirements. But I get to hang out in a room for a weekend with people who think about chiropractic the same way I do. And that's a, it's a, it's rare air to get to breathe these days. So I really enjoy it. I'm happy that the Garden City exists and I'm grateful for you to keep it going all this time and to keep coming up with cool creative ideas like this. Um, do you believe seminar or if you believe seminar, I think that's cool. Um, okay, Jim, let's close this thing off. Uh, I, everyone I interview so far, I've asked them four questions at the end, just to kind of give a, a uniform summary and just see people, uh, what they're thinking. And so there's four questions for you. The first one, is there a favorite book, chiropractic or otherwise that you've read, uh, that you recommend that was really a, a life changer for you, a favorite book? Oh boy. Uh, yeah, I can think of several of them actually. I think the one that that has allowed me to to be involved with with the the survival of this chiropractic concept is by Simon Sinek. It's Start with Why. I love that book. Uh, he also does he also does little uh, like excerpts on TED Talk. He's got two TED Talks that that almost summarize the book in 18 minutes. I think it's the best 18 minutes on the internet, by the way. Yeah, but, I uh, I was turned on to him via those um, the TED talks and these little like little mini presentations that he gave, and it's really very very well done. Right. Well, I, I went the opposite way also. In this, I didn't find the book first. I, I saw the TED talk first, and then went and found the book after that. Um, a couple of a couple of others. Uh, there is 
a it's it's not really a book it, it is a collection of the notes of Ludwig Wittgenstein who uh, in in German the title reads on certainty and for those of you who met me you know that that I'm a big fan of if you're going to check for vertebral subluxation do it with stuff that you can be certain of is is giving you relevant valid information about it because otherwise your pre and post checks are are guesswork and you do the best you can to that so that was uncertainty i i i can't remember how to say it in german um and then the, i have other books that are just more for either myself or for entertainment. I think uh, Martha Beck wrote a book called The Joy Diet. It's a wonderful way to conduct your life and and your interactions with people and the world at large. Um, How to Play Golf in the Low 120s might be the funniest book I've ever read, and it's mostly pictures with maybe 100 words spread out over the 30 pages of it or something. Uh, but... You know, other than that, um, I don't know. Well, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. I, I've seen the play, and when I read the play, it was it was one of those where oh, the book was so much better than the play, even though the play is spectacular too. So, uh, lovely variety there. Uh, I'm curious about the the German one. I will look up on certainty. Um, second one. Who would you say your greatest chiropractic influencer has been, living or dead? Uh, all right. Other than me, I'm going to say that that I am my my most for the reasons I told you about. You know, people make their own decisions. I would have to say Vince Toma, the fellow that that kept me from going to National College and recommended Sherman. Uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But but that that one night that I spent hearing his orientation and speaking with him absolutely uh, kept me from getting lost somewhere. Uh, Joe Strauss, between his office experience that night for the recruiting session and then the, the, the other personal communications I had with him and the books that he's written. Uh, same thing with Reggie. I mean, Reggie influenced me more by knowing about him as well as hearing him uh, on many occasions, uh, Joe D, Mark Olstein, all the guys that, that were on that, that the, the trips and the groups, uh, Mark Massano, Gino Corcoruto, uh, Gary Rushing. That's that's. I mean, there's you know, if Mount Rushmore were an entire mountain range, there's a there's a grouping there for you. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, has there been any? Major, so I've been started saying uh, money mistake, but anything like in your career, like big mistake or or uh, harsh left turn when you should have made a right turn. When you look back on it, big mistake you made. Um, yeah, actually two. One of which is a little bit inescapable in that when I graduated Sherman, I was I was on the Sherman administration for a little while, but then also was chosen to. Uh, be the president of, at that time, Adio, and then later becoming Penn Strait uh, under, that was one of the changes that we sought while I was there. But I did have a practice 
but the, the thing was that the the college took up such an amazing amount of my of time it demanded so much that it wasn't really prudent for me to have my own dedicated full-time office space so i was in with someone else and two things one was that someone else wasn't 100 percent same as as my mission and vision and i didn't have full control over the decisions at that place so uh you know, my presence there was was getting lost in in the blur of of other therapeutic events and things. The other the other mistake it affected my chiropractic life, but it wasn't a chiropractic decision. Uh, I married someone who didn't agree with my vision. I <laughs> so uh, having having the having a box on the wall office was completely foreign to her uh, understood and 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 that that in and of itself wasn't didn't affect the money there but the divorce was incredibly costly yeah <laughs> understood <laughs> um, and then the last question uh, I, I'm sure this is almost hard to answer but I'm asking everyone what has been over the years your favorite part of having a non-therapeutic office uh, the 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 fact that the people get it uh, oddly even even many times other chiropractors don't but the people and, and I get you know I get all sorts of objections from them about oh how can I do that they're not gonna they're not gonna understand that that's gonna be foreign to them etc but people get it uh, and and so as a result the very first people that ever came to my office the only reasons they left were to move away or they died and even when when I had to finally stop uh, almost two years ago now the the very first family that came to me on day one who at first it was mom coming to my office um, not knowing anything about a non-therapeutic model but she decided to come in and I, I I don't explain it over the phone you can't do that it's hard it can be done but you know you, you you're seeing a lot of people during the day I don't have a bunch of minutes to set aside to talk to someone and walk them through the questions so they, they just have to come in that's all there is to it but this was day one so it wasn't as if I had other people waiting for me anyway. She was going to be she was going to be per file number one if, if if you think about it that way. She got it, and then said, "If I hurry home and get my kids, can I bring them back now? And my husband will be home later. Can he come in later?" And they were still with me. Well, no, actually, they went through a divorce. So she and the kids, and they're both they're adults now. All three of them are, are adults. Um, the the two younger ones still were coming to me. The older one had moved away, but they were still coming to me. Thirty, thirty-one, no, thirty-six years later. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it was wonderful. So when I think about the favorite thing, it's fun. 
It is so fun. I, I, I don't think I've ever have there been days where there have been challenges. Yeah, but to me those weren't those weren't reasons to get upset or give up. Those are reasons to say, huh, I just missed there. That won't happen again. Let me figure this out. So it was it was a way of, of that's that's kind of how I kept sharpening this pencil until I think I got a pretty good line. Yeah, that's and that's how it uh and that's how it works. Jim, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Uh you were so giving of your time and you have been over the years. And I can't wait to see you in a couple weeks, man. I'm excited. We get to have Same you. here. Same here. I'm very much looking forward to it. Tell you what, let me let you, and this is just because if anybody you know, sometimes I hear something on these and I don't know how to get in touch with that person. My email for anybody who wants to ask me about anything or just write and say, hey, uh, I'm going to be in such and such area. You want to get together, whatever. I don't really care. But if you want to talk about chiropractic or non-chiropractic or anything, let me know. It's chirogym, C-H-I-R-O-J-I-M, at live, L-I-V-E dot com. I offer that because... I'm not big on Facebook. I get there once in a while. Um, Facebook also doesn't, it's not interactive in the best sense. So sometimes you read something and you hear it differently than the person wrote it. So, you know, it, with, with email, at least we've got a chance to express ourselves more fully. And if you have a question that I haven't answered or if I've spurred, sparked one in you that, that you'd like to know, uh, what, what I'm thinking about it or how we're thinking about it together, shoot me an email. Uh, and that's, uh, yes, I was going to ask that. Uh, I will be shooting you an email for the uh, uh, the audio that you were mentioning earlier, so I'm excited to do that. And uh, one last time, a last plug, the If You Believe seminar is uh, occurring in a couple weeks. It's October 19th. 19th in the great state of New Jersey and uh, you go to gardenstatechiropractic.org and under events it's if you believe and you can register there I just looked at the registration it's super easy to do and um, I look forward to being there I'm excited so thanks Jim I appreciate your time today sir no thank you Jamie appreciate it I'm glad to have been here this is great and, uh, you know, we touched on a lot of different things, but, uh, you know, you're a volume of information that is not quite summed up in the hour or so we spent. So uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Oh, that would, I'd look forward to that, too. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you, I'll sir. see you soon. The Chiropractic Trust has been created to protect, preserve, advance, develop, and adamantly defend practices of straight chiropractors who focus strictly on the location, analysis, and facilitation of correction of vertebral subluxation and ensuring that the choice of straight chiropractic care is made available to all humankind throughout their entire lives. The views of the interviewees do not necessarily represent those of the Chiropractic Trust.